0: um let's see we should be just about live right about now thank you uh for joining us today uh my name is timothy williams and i'm here with an awesome guest by the name of alex hansen please uh introduce yourself yeah
1: hi guys hi timothy thanks for having me today um so my name is alex hansen and my pseudo is alex hansen too because i mean i've always been uh searching for one, but in the meantime, I just kept my name into the last name, so kind of sticked around, and I'm not sure I'm going to change anymore. Um, <laughs> I've been mostly playing Hearthstone for the past four or five years uh, competitively. Mm-hmm. I mean, not at, uh, I didn't go at Master Tours or anything, but mostly on the, on the European, French, Swiss scene, and mm-hmm. the French scene we know is a bit packed, because we see a lot of, of top French players going in top eights uh, internationally, so... Even though Absolutely. it's local scene, it's pretty pretty stacked and really good players. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, I've played almost most TCGs, uh, starting with Yu-Gi-Oh! as a casual player, Pokemon as well, collecting and kind of battling my friends, but no, no real big strategies. Mm-hmm. I think it wasn't that um, developed at the time it came out, so mostly collecting cards. Yeah. And um, then followed up by Magic, Magic the Gathering. And it was a funny period because we didn't have much um, much meta reports, a huge internet websites like we would have today. So it's kind of mm. reading blogs about um, tournament reports by yeah. guys in the U.S., whereas the European meta is so different. And yeah, it's, it's yeah. So the the meta shifts between like it's it's like word of mouth at one point, but it's also what's what every region prefers.
0: Hmm.
1: And so it was really hard to to catch up and especially in some new formats, like, no, actually, no, Standard was pretty decent, but when Modern came out, I think the possibilities were so so broad. And actually, I was playing when uh, Modern just came out. I don't remember which, which years that was, but the meta just changed so quickly, and you'd have to really, really look at each tiny piece of information on the web just to see which, uh, which decks would be strong, which mm-hmm. new builds were played over there to see if, if it adapts to your local meta and yeah that was really fun but then it kind of it's super costly and i mean uh, early stages in your life you kind of can't spend too much money uh competing in some games where the the local scene was also um getting smaller and smaller so that's when hearthstone came out and eventually it's it's the good mix between everything and you can play from home you, you can also like lands are pretty pretty popular now in switzerland it's one of the most popular games actually your mm-hmm. esport games, so we were pretty lucky that the Swiss esports scene in Hearthstone was pretty big, and also I think there's a huge impact uh, with the French Hearthstone scene, which is really really huge, mm-hmm. and the, the fact that tournaments are less than like five or six hour drives away uh, makes it really interesting for for us Swiss people to compete in.
0: Wow, so and that's it. You know that I, I love how much information you brought to that. That's such an in- incredible introduction. Uh, and, and for those of my audience that may not know, what's unique about Alex is uh, he, he does kind of bring that European perspective, because I'll be real honest, most of the friends that I've had uh, in the trading card world have always been in, in at least North America, you know, whether it's been Mexico, uh, but it's, you know, to have this kind of connection Uh, A little bit later in my trading card game career is so unique. I I really wish that I would have been able to pick your brain during the Yu Gi Oh! and Magic the Gathering days way back then.
1: But. Well, I mean, I think communities uh, had a lot more, um, were very local and existed on forums, but we didn't reach out to each other like we do on Twitter today. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have been way more complicated at the time. And it was also um, a a factor that I think like. The web wasn't, social media wasn't developed and, or it was just at the beginnings and we didn't have mm-hmm. those those usages we do have today, like sharing meta reports on the large scales, having so much like online play data and stuff like that. So I think everything yeah. combines now. It's the sweet spot for every TTG player uh, to have all the data available, yeah. uh, to have access to everybody, just tweeting to them, hey, what do you think about this deck, this matchup, and just getting instant answers. So, oh yeah. yeah. This is the best time.
0: Absolutely. I mean, this is the golden era of data and players actually being open for the most part in a lot of games, uh, to, Very sorry. <laughs> oh, perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. <laughs> we love the puppers over here. Um, yeah, he's
1: a bit noisy and my window is directly open to the street. So whenever a dog comes by and barks outside, he's kind of okay. to say hi to. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, you know, what, what's interesting is I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a response to like the internet thing you know uh, what's unique about my perspective and one of the reasons why I would say I was somewhat able to be competitive when I was younger is yeah I'd been playing trading card games since about 2003 2004 and Whoa. and so I was I was like a 13 or 14 year old right and I got to the reason why I got into it and I started really like trying to get better is I started reading on Pojo <laughs> And so, like, I started reading, reading like, Pojo, like, tournament reports, just like you were talking about, um, and, you know, I started going to my locals, I went to, like, Books A Million, Toys R Us, I don't even know if they have those over there, uh, I assume so.
1: Yeah, we do know Toys R Us, and we have similar stores.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, bookstore, basically, and toy store, and then our local hobby store, I found that as well, um, and I eventually started getting into tournaments, and that's kind of what started my Yu-Gi-Oh! career, but... I The way that I used the internet was always tournament reports. And to be real honest, this is one of the weirdest things that I've actually ever told anybody. Um, I actually used to play online in Yu Gi Oh! like in 2004, 2005, uh, on like this little like program called YVD. I mean, we're talking like. Yes,
1: I've played it too, actually. I've yeah.
0: Yeah. So like, I when mean,
1: Yu-Gi-Oh virtual uh, duelist
0: or something. Yeah. Desktop game. Yeah. I want to say, I said, yeah. and so like, it was really, really old school and you know, to, to put it in a, in a little bit more of a time capsule, a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh players know the, the goat format era. Um, I actually was, that was my first nationals. Uh, I, I was like a 13, 14 year old kid, whatever. And I, I was able to get to nationals and, I remember the, the, the guy who won nationals was somebody that we used to play online with in, like, you know, Clan Wars on YVD, you know? And and it was just incredible to see that, like, online levels were, were that high, and it translated, you know? So I do think that, like, back in the day, that was the difference between, like, the super elite. Because I remember there was even a Magic uh, online client that's still my friends to this yeah. day. Uh, really like they really play a lot on but uh so you guys never used like pojo or anything like that message board wise
1: um i haven't heard about pojo um
0: is it a message board wow that's so interesting so pojo was like this national i guess and and somewhat like north america like magazine you can actually go to like pojo.com like right now if you wanted to but like it, yeah, I'm
1: just,
0: <laughs> I'm <actually doing> it. <laughs> and, um, okay, yeah. and so Pojo used to like publish magazines that had card prices and like had all the cards in them. And like, so you would like flip through as a little kid and see all the shiny cards. And then, you know, if you went online, you could read tournament reports that were on there. And, um, there were also websites like, like some people were too elite for Pojo, right? So they would, they made like their uh-huh. own, you know, separate message board that was even more inclusive uh one of one of them was called duelist grounds if you've ever heard of duelist grounds (laughs) oh man
1: well i wasn't playing Yu-Gi-Oh! very competitively i I would mostly know about magic uh magic forums or magic uh websites so there was a little bit of magic yeah yeah i guess
0: i was gonna say there was a little bit of magic on duelist grounds but go ahead i'm sorry
1: yeah no problem yeah let me just google it too duelist grounds
0: oh man duelist grounds is legendary
1: (laughs) So, Some, somebody. Okay, so it's a. It's is it um like a forum, a message board?
0: Yeah. So oh, cool. So like, Pojo was like the PG, like you know the friendly like big name players sometimes would post stuff on there and like would have magazine writers. But Duelist Grounds was like this. If you post a deck list, like get ready to be flamed. Like it, I mean, we're talking yeah. like early two thousands, <laughs> nice. like mid two thousands internet. I mean. <laughs> It, it used to be a little savage, if I'm being real honest. But it was filled with, like, some of the best players in the game all the time. And, you know, they would drop tech Like, say there would be a brand-new tournament that was coming and that was about to be played. Like, sometimes the new tech, single-card tech or whatever, would come out on that message board before the tournament was played, and, you know, it would dominate. Uh, so, like, it, it was just really unique to, like, have those – perspectives growing up so i've always kind of had like online sources but i've never seen data like we have in hearthstone today yeah incredible
1: yeah i think not even hearthstone i think um like Magic gathering has its own online game i think any cg uh, or any tcg that has an online version mm-hmm. even pokemon i i don't know if you can gather much data from the pokemon tcg game but as long as it's online i guess people write down uh, win rates, write down uh, matchups and everything. So, I think we never had access to so much information mm-hmm. that I think really thins out the the good and bad decks. Uh, at, at the time, you used to discuss which were good good and bad decks, good matchups, bad matchups. Now you just have like thousands and thousands of people saying so and mm-hmm. giving you what works, what doesn't, uh, trying thousands of games with one specific card tech in in a deck. So I think that's really interesting. Hearthstone is probably the, the most advanced in that sense, which on like, you have the tracker, the tracker goes directly to HS replay and you just have instant yeah. data from whatever. And it's really interesting because when you see a new rotation and a new meta, you actually see like even three days after you almost have optimized decks, uh, mm-hmm. optimized uh, lineups, the, the ladder always uh, like the meta is fixed after three days almost. So it's, that's really insane. and it's sometimes a bit um i think a, a bit sad as well because it kind of closes up the meta and when you look at the master's tours today like, there are f- five different decks almost and it's not as um as different as would be a magic the gathering tournament where you have probably like you would have those dominant decks in the meta but you'd probably have a lot more uh va- variety interesting decks uh well you have a lot more cards as well but. I think it's I it's see. also a downside that your decks are so well optimized that you kind of end up with four or five decks that are top meta and everything else is kind of B or C tier that mm-hmm. you can't really play against those top meta tiers and and kind of limits the the meta to four or five decks maximum and it really feels like this uh, today and you you can actually see a lot of pros talking about this on on Twitter mm-hmm. that the meta is is very um, oriented towards like two decks dominating warrior and um, Uh, demon hunter and everything Mm -hmm. else is kind of there to be not too bad against those decks or kind of be decent against them but we've even seen people try to counter warrior but didn't work so it's Mm -hmm. kind of in that like either you ban it and kind of bring okay decks but you can still uh you have to bring it yourself because it's a good deck and Mm -hmm. kind of fixes everything limits everything
0: yeah when i was watching earlier i think it said um Ninety, I think the the Warrior and Demon Hunter decks were in the ninety five <laughs> plus percentiles of who was bringing them. So literally, yeah, I think everybody. Warrior was
1: ninety
0: nine. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's just one of those things where you're just like, wow. But you know, one of the, what was also interesting though, and I will point this out, is they also put up a graphic of the win rates, and the win rates were all yep. really balanced. I mean, it was all between you know fifty two percent to forty eight percent uh i think was maybe the last and and so when you when you talk about that kind of data hearthstone as a game seems to be achieving what they want right which is win rate is, is is basically all kind of even there's no one necessarily dominant deck or is that just because it's conquest i think both yeah
1: um it's interesting, because data from HS Replay is, is ladder data, mm-hmm. and tournament data is, is always so much different, because people build decks differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of have something you target in mind, you have to be good against the stuff you don't ban, so you kind of orient your decks in that sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas ladder, you try just to be the most consistent possible. and You always obviously try to play around everything, but you can't take too many cards in ladder, because obviously it doesn't work, as in Conquest, you just like play against three or four decks you kind of can anticipate as well mm-hmm. so it's it's uh, there's a lot true. more deck building and it's a lot more intense in, in conquest uh so yeah i think it's interesting as well to compare the the win rates uh indeed everybody brought warrior but there were some strategies coming out of um i hope we see a couple in top eight as well that's mm-hmm. either leave warrior open or try to well yeah if you leave warrior open you try to counter it and hmm hasn't seemed to to be proven a lot. I've seen some, yeah. some guys leave Warrior open, like uh, I think I we saw Blazes uh, yesterday mm-hmm. that had Warrior open and just wrecked the druid turn four or something. Cause he just had that crazy uh crazy start and you can't do anything against it. Yeah. That's just what Warrior does. Like that's just what top tier decks do. So when you try yeah. to counter them, you kind of it, I don't think it's um it's probably the best strategy to c- try to counter the best deck. But at least you can try to counter the the weapon archetype, which uh, Demon Hunter has. Um, Rogue can have uh, can use a lot of weapons. So if you have like, lo- uh, oh, I don't know the name in, in French, oh, in English, sorry. What's the the, the, is it the guy it, that destroys a weapon? Ooze, right? yeah, acidic
0: is, ooze, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. So you can have oozes and stuff, and the guy <laughs> that freezes as well. Like, sorry, I don't know the English names.
0: Oh no, it's perfectly cool. Um,
1: yeah, so I think it's interesting to it's gonna be interesting to see the top eights and see if if yeah the fact that 99% brought warrior if it was really the good like the dominant deck if people can build around it in conquests mm-hmm. I think that that's gonna be a really interesting question mm-hmm. but definitely in on ladder it's really the best deck because yeah I mean it's it's so stable and actually it's even one of the I think it's really a good deck right now because it has the most tutors uh, it has draw um, every cards almost synergizes with at least one or two other cards in the deck, so mm-hmm. it's not like those Highlander decks where you just put, put a card, high roll, and, I, of course, the outcomes are always good, but you just have yeah. so many independent cards that work uh, independently, whereas Warrior, you can just combo with anything, which is why it's so powerful.
0: You know, I think that you bring up a good point about it being all the cards being good, and it can it's so versatile. Like, one of the big criticisms of, like, Rogue has been that it cannot close games as strong as it could before with, you know, Leroy Jenkins. And so when you look at some of these decks, like even Druid, you know, on Druid, if you mill Mountain Cellars uh, as, as you're, you know, going ahead and trying to Turbo, or you mill critical minions, uh, or you just maybe have to expend your free mana cards early because maybe the deck you're playing is just going really heavy tempo, it, it puts these decks in weird positions. Whereas warrior can take damage and gain armor, it can board clear, it can be aggressive and put threats on the board that are basically what I call what I call floating cards. I've, we've always called them floating cards. Like if you if you have a card that can generate another card, it basically gives you a, a, a floating card at yeah. plus ones, you know, and. Then it has the weapon aspect of it as well, where it can generate advantage that way. I mean, just Warrior is just... It is the best all-around deck, and it really does put a, a big problem with the meta because how do you counter that? Uh, there's not been a successful hard counter, and and that's kind of what we're seeing in, in the Grand Masters. That's why so many people are banning it. Yeah.
1: Actually, it's a, what's interesting in the in the win rate of Warrior is... If people leave it open, I think the the most interesting stat is like the ban- the number of bands and the, the number of um, of times it's been played. Mm-hmm. Because people leaving it open obviously try to counter it or have a good lineup against it. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it has 50%, even though people try to counter it, is is still silly impressive. Oh yeah. Because that means people that keep it that leave it open are super confident against it, and they still have 50% win rate. They're not like 55 or they, they don't really beat it. They kind of are average against it which is which shows how the deck is, is typically good right
0: now. Yeah, and, and at least, I guess the only thing that a lot of people are happy about is at least it's not Demon Hunter. That's just, you know, yeah. smacking <laughs> yeah. people in the face and, and generating cards. Not necessarily generating cards, but having cheap cards that end up uh, snowballing into insane advantage or damage. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. And, and there's been some sad uh, moments uh, watching the Grandmasters Tour 2, you know, watching Purple. Uh, one of, honestly, I, he's one of the one of my favorite guys that I watch streaming just because I love the music that he plays, <laughs> and it's so weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was so sad to see uh, Purple just continuously get, I, I'll be real honest, what I thought were bad roles for the most part, because uh, I think he's a really good player. But there, there have been some really cool moments, but some also real sad moments in the Grandmasters so far. Have you? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, indeed. I think.
0: I was going to say, have think, you been rooting for anybody?
1: Um, of course, yeah, the French players, mm-hmm. obviously, because um, mm-hmm. we we see them a lot in, in lands. We play against them, and it's kind of, uh, it's the closest community we have in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, since we don't have a Swiss Grandmaster, I hope we do once, because uh, Hypno was really was really on fire uh, for the first yes. two uh, Master Tour stocks. and now he's kind of consistent, but doesn't get uh, doesn't. I mean, gets high rolled a lot. I saw a couple of his tweets, like a screenshot of the games. But like getting uh, Galacrons plus crons on turn seven against you is pretty, pretty sad. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, the the French community is really is really cool. Um, they're great people, and they're always super uh, super expressive. Especially if you look at Felcade, he's always super, uh, super oh, yeah. cheerful or always reacts in in super funny ways uh, to the game. So I think that's also a big part of the show. It's not like Some players are super stoic through the whole game and just don't show any any emotions. I think it's still it's it's a fun game as well. And there's so much RNG that you can't just be mad or be happy. Just you can just like react.
0: Yeah, I mean it just you can to the game. It just kind (laughs) of happens. Hey, so I wanted to ask you actually. uh, This is something that we haven't talked about, uh, but I wanted to ask you what it's like traveling in events. Uh, in Europe because I, I'll tell you what it's like from our perspective as a local uh, in the United States but I'm curious what it's like uh, traveling around to events in Europe and, and, and I'm not sure maybe you could tell me about some of the biggest events that you've been to uh, or maybe traveled to but kind of talk to me about that a little bit I'm kind of curious
1: yeah so it's actually pretty simple because I haven't been to the um... I didn't even go to the H- HTC stops, HCT stops at the time, mm-hmm. um, even though they were not too far away. There there were some in Spain, um, in Sweden, but most of the big tournaments we did uh, with my team because we always tried to move um, to move as a group, so like th- at least three or four people at a time. Mm-hmm. So we always went to France, and okay. as, I mean, obviously France is, the, the, the good thing with France is you don't need to go too far, and the scene is incredibly strong, so... It, it wouldn't be like going to any other country, and we don't know the locals maybe in other countries. Whereas the French community is super, um, super really tight knit. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk to each other on Twitter, on streams, and everything, and everybody ends up knowing each other really quickly. Hmm. Um,
0: is there a language so, and, barrier with it, with any of the other countries? I, I just had to interject real quick. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, actually, in Switzerland, we do speak French. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's thirty thirty. 30% of the, the country that speaks French. It's one of our four official languages. Mm-hmm. So obviously we don't have the, um, the language barrier because we can just speak French with the French speak speaking. Mm-hmm. But it's also a reason why we don't go to Germany, for example, for the French part speaking of Switzerland because we don't speak German very well. Um, mm-hmm. Even though we, we learn it in school, it's always that second language you, you end up learning in school but never speaking well. Um, okay. So we don't go to Germany much, uh, whereas huh. Swiss Germans, they go to Germany and they're really, really close to that community as well. So cool. Swiss is divided between French and German. So everybody goes to their closest uh, big community. Wow. Whereas for Swiss Germans, it would be Germany and we go to France. So it's, it's really funny how, how we both uh, travel differently. Wow.
0: See, like that is the kind of input that I was talking about, about traveling. Cause I would have never even guessed anything like that. That is so cool. So you guys can have, two metas basically that clash within you know just one part and and we're talking about like international influence not you know local you know it's like for us it's a lot of states you know we we have like i live in tennessee and so right above us is kentucky and maybe tennessee and kentucky will have different meta games but it's not like the skill level is ever going to be like wide 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 uh, or, or really that high. But I imagine that having two different countries that contribute to your metagame as well, that that makes your gameplay like really, really high. So it makes sense why the French metagame and, and why the Swiss metagame that, that is influenced by so many different countries, it, it, it makes sense why you guys are pretty good over there too.
1: I mean, also geographically, we're so much closer to each other. So mm-hmm. I guess every time there's a there's a major tournament, it's easier for, for the big players to come to come to one centralized uh, place. Yeah. And I mean, Paris, Berlin are very centralized. So every time there's a there's a tournament in one of those big cities, it's pretty easy for everybody just to travel in. I guess like by airplane, you could probably go to each each city uh, each city at a time. That would it would approximately take like two or three hours by airplane. For everybody in Europe, so I think this is also, a, I mean, America, probably, you could probably do the same. I don't know how, like, how much time it would take to cross the, the entire country. Oh, by airplane or
0: I can like tell you about hours. that. I can tell you about that. So, okay, let me, let me give you a little bit of, from, from our perspective, traveling. So, uh, I live in Tennessee, and we were so focused on, like, the local area that we compared ourselves to, like, other cities, like, we weren't even thinking about Kentucky or Georgia or Louisiana or anything like that. We were concerned with, like, inner cities. And granted, the cities, were, the cities were probably distanced by about maybe 45 to 50, 60 miles. So, like, we're all relatively close. And this is before the age of the Internet. Uh, but, like, as time went on, we started traveling more and more. And we would just get in a car and literally drive, you know, three hours, four hours, At, you know, three or four in the morning, get to the tournament and uh, we would play and then we would drive home after the event. Um, And and so if we wanted to go somewhere across the country, uh, getting getting from like Tennessee to California, I actually got to go to one of the biggest events that's ever happened in a trading card game uh, in uh, Long Beach. It was called YCS Long Beach is a Yu-Gi-Oh event. And uh, me and a, a lot of my friends we flew across the country. The flight was incredible. We went to LAX and stuff. I mean, it was like this whole like this whole thing for a trading card game, you know? <laughs> and the the cool thing about that is I actually Yeah, like <laughs> uh, it really does. And and I the, the other cool part about it was I got to go see Kobe Bryant play uh, in person. So like, I mean, it was like this whole thing. I mean, it was it really was like a magical uh, event. And um, We, I did that a couple of times, you know, like traveling for tournaments, you know, I went to places like Chicago, uh, St. Louis, Seattle. So we're talking like, you know, from Tennessee, we're talking probably six hours, uh, driving and then flying to get to Washington. I think it was like a five hour flight just directly to Washington, six hour flight, um, flying across the middle of the United States, you know, but It's so cool getting to do that. And one thing that you brought up was that uh, when there's like a a centralized event like in Paris or uh, say you said like something like Berlin, that a lot of the big name players can kind of go there. That's not necessarily the case in the United States because it's so spread out like uh, an event, you know, being in New York. That's so hard for people from California, unless you're like a, a, a really well-known player, you have a high bankroll. So, I don't know that that's kind of the perspective from the from, from my experience playing uh, trading card games. But I, I would say that I'm I'm very similar to a lot of other people. Yeah, man. That's
1: yeah, uh, actually super interesting. I think yeah, the size of the countries and the the fact that it's so easy in, in Europe to to fly from one country to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really makes it. Um, I, also, in, in France, I mean, France, Switzerland, we have uh, super really good train systems and motorways, so it's really easy and convenient to go from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, while well, the countries are so small that's compared to the U.S., that's I guess it's super easy for even the French community. It's like Paris is super centralized. France has has been made made that way that all the trains kind of. Uh, France is a star and Paris is kind of in the middle, so they all kind of go back to the oh. center. And it's oh. super easy to, to just change trains and go go wherever. Um, and each city, uh, they always try to, or, of course, organize the the lands um, in big cities that are really well centralized. Mm-hmm. And that's really a strength, I think, in, in Europe, that everything's super well connected and yeah. especially not too far away.
0: Yeah, I think that... That's super cool, the, the public transportation part uh, and how you guys go ahead and have so many trains. Like, I didn't see trains until I went, and it was like when I flew to Long Beach, and I got to ride public trolleys and stuff like that. But here in, in, in my part of Tennessee, and I live in Nashville, and it's, it's not like Nashville's like some under-the-radar city. Like, Nashville's one of the hottest cities in America right now. And we don't have that many public buses like we have some but we don't have like trolleys and trains and stuff it's actually a really big argument <laughs> but um yeah because <laughs> it, it costs a lot of money and so a lot of people around this area are very conservative about taxes so they're like oh no, no 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 we don't want to pay for that so it's a big deal around here but when i fly to other parts of the country i get to experience you know the public transportation and it's so awesome because uh, you get to ride place, you know, from your hotel to the convention center, um, you know, different things like that. But so have have you gotten a chance to, uh, you know, I guess, um, you know, looking at the, the differences in travel, uh, are you looking forward to any premier events uh, in the next maybe few months, maybe in the near future? Or are you just still kind of sticking to uh, mostly, you know, playing with a team and online?
1: Um, we have a lot of online, uh, so uh, the team I'm in, they also organize tournaments, which is really cool, mm-hmm. because um, we, we kind of need those, those uh, structures that organize events and make, the, make the, the scene still active, so players don't drop out, uh, so there's still interest in the, in the local scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a team tournament coming up, I think starting next weekend, uh, that's going to last for, I think, for a month and a half, and then offline uh, finals. And which is great because we had French uh, French players and French teams also joining in joining in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you do you know um, Totosh from the French team?
0: Uh, not not off <laughs> the top of my head. Not off the top of my head.
1: Okay, yeah. So basically, he did the quarterfinals in, in the, uh, one one of the previous uh, Master tours. And his okay. team is is participating in the like the the online tournament. And they might, I mean, if they qualify, they can join us in Switzerland for the top four finals, which is really cool because we always have those. Uh, so which which is cool now is um let's say switzerland's cash prices are a bit higher because we have uh sponsors already, are ready i guess to, to to kind of give a bit more money mm-hmm. um to esports tournaments so we 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 start having more and more french players as well uh that are interested in the cash prices and that are also interested in traveling to switzerland for the for the events yeah that's, um that's cool <laughs> a, a, a funny thing is um, it, a city close to mine i live in geneva which is really really surrounded by france and there's lausanne which is a city uh, 40 minutes away by car and they organized a huge uh, hearthstone tournament two years ago and the cash price was actually pretty decent it's so the tournament only had 32 players but they invited 16 and they also did an online qualifier for the 16 others mm-hmm. and for a uh, top 32, um, the cash price was actually I think a bit bigger than the big French tournaments that have like 128 players, hmm. or uh, 100, 126, sorry, and um, wow. wait, no, 28, 28. Um, So <laughs> that's kind of motivated the the French scene to to come as teams, and some some even uh, French like big French casters came to to cast the tournament and everything. So
0: mm-hmm. um, that is yeah, really we have cool.
1: Trains that come easily from Paris to Switzerland. So like, all of that kind of makes the, makes the, the tournaments really interesting. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I think it's really good that we also have those synergies uh, starting to build up and ramp up with France. You know?
0: That is really cool. I mean, we don't necessarily have at least what we always felt in the Yu-Gi-Oh! community. And I'll, and I'll speak for that for the most part, most part pertaining to like international but like the United States and Canada did used to have a little bit of a rivalry in Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, oh, that's cool. because I mean there was there was definitely some awesome Canadian players. I mean uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Bolito brothers, Dave Bolito or Dell Belito, uh, Oh, man, and I can't remember the other guy. But there's just so many like international known players um, that were just really good. And and a couple of them were from Canada, but I always just remember it was so cool when European players like would fly to uh, Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments and to you know just different major events. And, and so I don't know. Is I I guess what I'm what I'm kind of getting at is what what, I, what do you think are some of the differences between like maybe the experience in Europe versus the experience in America playing trading card games. Uh, like, what do you do – because obviously there's a difference because sometimes you guys have a way different meta than we do. Yeah. And, and it's so strange to me. <laughs> I don't understand it.
1: Actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I can't say why. Um, if, I mean, it, there's no explanation why the Asian meta and the European meta and yeah. the American meta is so different. I think it just depends um, on – yeah, actually I don't know because it's HS replay. Even w- when you switch servers, you see how different it is. Mm-hmm. It kind of doesn't. It wouldn't make sense, I guess. But I guess it's what everybody prefers to play. Um, I don't know if like Asians in TCGs in general like to play uh, more aggressively. I think in Hearthstone the Asia Asia servers is mostly is, is a bit more aggro than it is in Europe. Hmm. And I don't know if it's. I don't remember what I heard about America. I, I play a bit, but I, I'm. I, i'm not top legend uh, in america so i can't really say what the meta is uh, at a really good uh, level but yeah I, I mean i don't know i think you, europe plays a bit more control sometimes when you see um sometimes what they bring to, to... um yeah it's i don't know i think it's maybe in our culture that's I, it's hard to say it's, it's not the data obviously because otherwise the data would just everybody would be playing the same meta Yeah, Uh, we probably still have some personal preferences uh, for country, for continents.
0: Yeah, it's just super interesting because it's like that in in literally everything. So I guess it makes sense that we would have differences. (laughs) I mean, when you think about even in the sports world, uh, there's differences in the way that we play soccer uh, or football, as you guys call it. Uh, There's differences in the way we play basketball. Uh, I'm sure there's differences in the way that uh, people approach, you know, Olympic, you know, weightlifting and things of that nature. You always hear about the way that Russians train compared to everybody else and things of that nature. So it makes sense that there's a difference. I just wish that there was a way to pinpoint like why it was the case, even in trading card games, because I mean, if we're using the same cards and we're all trying to win, you know, it just seems like, or at least you know, there's at the competitive scene, they're all trying to win. You know, it would just seem that there would be some, like. Nor, like You would see the same thing almost in every metagame, but you don't. And it's always been that way. And I will say this. I think it comes down to, in some cases, the way that some people think about the games and the way that cards interact. Uh, like, for example, where some people may see, oh, this card is really good because it's a plus one. Maybe uh, some other people's way they judge a card is I like this card because it gets me closer to winning a game via this combo. You know, maybe it's just a difference in the way people see cards and, and value how, how good they are. And then all the play, all, all, all the ways that they play the cards, you know, it, it, there's so many different decisions that go into playing cards. So I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know either. But I've just always thought it was strange how we would have the same band list or we would have the same restricted list, yet the meta is not the same. And and I will say yeah. this, okay. in the OCG, uh, particularly in Asia, uh, there were instances where like cards were cheaper. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they would be printed in different mm-hmm. rarity. Um, I'm not sure how Magic: The Gathering treats that though. You know, yeah, like actually, oh, I used to buy
1: Chinese cards because they were cheaper as well.
0: Oh well, there you go. See, I didn't know that. Um, cause like over here, there was a, there was a period where we wanted to have foreign cards. Like I had French, I had French, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh decks, you know, I had Italian Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Like I used to have foreign, like that was the flex over here. It was like, yeah, dude, you can't even read my cards, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> but that was the, that was the thing. So, but the thing was getting Italian cards and French cards, it was more expensive. That's why it was a flex. So.
1: Oh, whoa. Because actually, um, we get really cheap German, Italian, and French cards. Uh, like the most expensive ones, average cost would be English. The most expensive would be Russian and Japanese. And all the like the trash tier languages in Europe are Italian, uh, German, and everything like that. Oh. So yeah, maybe there's a maybe maybe I could send you a bunch. <laughs> Just uh, I could get them probably two or three times cheaper than you would. Oh, <laughs> so I mean give me a list. And,
0: Oh, yeah. Hey, there was a point where literally I would get on I would get on Germany's uh, eBay and I would get on the Italian eBay and I would get on the French eBay and I would literally look these Yu-Gi-Oh! cards up and I would buy them. And sometimes the price would be cheap. But like as time went on, other people started catching on to this as well. So like, you know, the prices went up and I don't know, is it pretty well known that like the Italian shipping is like. Sort of sketchy. Like I, I, we were always kind of like nervous about ordering cards from from Italy because the customs were so strict. I don't know.
1: Actually, I I wouldn't say so. I, I mean, it's probably different from um, from yeah. the US rather than in Europe because in Europe yeah. we probably don't have a, a really really costly or weird. Uh, I mean, it's it's super quick because it's only one country uh, apart.
0: Wait, so how quick can you get mail from like? France, like say say you ordered a card from like French, uh, I don't know Troll and Toad, whatever it is over there. Do you have Troll? Yeah, um,
1: <laughs> actually, tr- Troll and Toad. I actually ordered stuff from there. at had the time. And it actually took like two or three weeks. So that is so tremendous. that would be the opposite of you ordering from Italy. So. And I was actually pretty scared about my shipping because it took two two more than two weeks. And I was sending them messages like, "Come on, guys, <laughs> where's my where's my package at."
0: I wish I would have known you then. I've been to the Troll and Toad Factory, okay? I've been because, like, when I was, um, I think when I was like 19 or 18. Uh, so this is like 10 years ago. Me and uh, I used to like we used to have card pull groups and stuff like that. So the friend that I was card pulling with, and like we were we had binders, we decided to drive to Corbin, Kentucky, where Troll and Toad is located. And the Whoa. big the big thing was like they had a million square foot facility where they had all their cards. And I was like, no way, you know, for cards. And so we pull up to the facility. And first of all, there's nothing else out there, but this gigantic warehouse where I, we walked into and there was like an office and stuff, but like, we got sent to some weird place where there was nothing, but just like a card case and a bunch of cards. And the guy just went through our collection gave us a check for like you know a few thousand and then we were on our way. Uh so like troll and toad Whoa. is super <laughs> legit. They're super legit. But it was just like so surreal to see something like that. Yeah. I was like, wow. But yeah man. Good uh, question.
1: How was the security over there? Because obviously they have so much so many like super rare cards.
0: Yeah, so from what I remember, uh when we went into the office there was definitely somebody there. But that's what was so kind of sketch about when we went into, uh, man, if, if I could give you a scene, it would be like where they keep airplanes, you know, like it, it was that big when we walked in, yeah. we walked into a building. It's Whoa. just that much space. So like, I'm sure that there's like cameras and there's like all sorts of stuff set up yeah. there. But um, yeah, it was just, it was really wild. And, and honestly uh, you know, I imagine that that's what a lot of these card places are. Uh, I don't know if Toy Wiz is big over there um, in, in Europe. I know Toy Wiz was really popular. Um, TCG Player. I don't even know where TCG Player is I'm though. Sure.
1: I think do you know Magic Card Market? Never used it. I think that that could be European. I'm not sure, but I think I've read somewhere that it was. I'm not sure though. But yeah, we we don't know. Um, I guess, especially since the internet has come, we just don't know where the the things come from. Yeah. Uh, if it looks German a bit. Let me just check.
0: Yeah, I Googled it and I could. If they have an
1: about us uh, section, I'll probably figure it out pretty quickly. The
0: okay, old... yeah, that,
1: that's in Germany. So, card markets, um, um, yeah, magic card market and cardmarkets.com uh, is okay. actually located in Germany, but I could probably go there. It's probably like five or six hour drive.
0: Yeah, so that would that would be similar to what we did in driving to uh, that place in, in Corbin, Kentucky, because uh, it was it was yeah. a little bit of a drive, man. We had it was a long car ride, but I mean, it was worth it. <laughs> it was definitely yeah, worth it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I've I've been able to to meet friends in the trading card game from from all over the country. Um, like I remember when Hurricane Katrina happened, people literally got evacuated from Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana. And I was playing against some of these people in regionals, you know, and, and talking to them and, you know, I saw them post online. So I, you know, I talked to them online, but that's the one thing that I've always really respected about trading card games is how awesome the communities are. Uh, and, and, in a lot of the games, I mean, you can find great people in every community. And so, I don't know, I, I, it's really cool that I was able to uh, connect with you. I really appreciate you coming on Um I'm trying to think, you know, we talked a little battlegrounds before we got on. Uh, we can kind of finish this off with talking a little battlegrounds if you go ahead if you if you're okay with that. Yeah, kind of yeah,
1: it's it's not my strong point and probably yeah. won't have any any really good uh, feedback for anybody out there.
0: So. Oh yeah, pure, purely entertainment. We are not Bob's Tavern, all right? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> but the the one thing we were talking about before is how how unique Battlegrounds was in the sense that Uh, Like, this new upgrade, this new patch that they have, you know, you've got new heroes, you've got a ton of new minions. Like, Battlegrounds is so unique in that sense. Uh, I tried playing a game, and I couldn't, like, there was too many things going on. Like, I didn't know enough of the new cards to be able to play a strategy on the fly. So, I I don't know, it's just so unique in that sense. And I really got to give it to uh, Blizzard and the people at Hearthstone. They did a pretty good job with Battlegrounds.
1: Honestly, yeah. Um, I think in all the... I haven't played the, 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 the other chess, but I've played a bit of TFT when it came out. And I feel like Battlegrounds is... Uh, compared to TFT, it's, it's a lot easier to, to, to handle. And especially, I think they've oriented the game in, in a way that you probably have a bit less options because um, you only have seven slots on the board. And yeah. obviously, you don't have so many, I think, characters... I probably know you probably have uh, the equal amount um, than TFT. but I think the interactions are are a bit uh, a bit easier to handle and to approach, whereas the strategies are a bit also uh, more limited, which is pre- pretty good because where it's complicated is really the transition, the, the early builds, the the mid builds, when to when to know when your build is good or not, how scouting uh, works. Yeah. It's really different than TFT whereas in TFT you can just look at everybody's build. There you really have to keep track of everything, so I think it's a really challenging game as well, even though it's simpler. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's like Hearthstone is to a TCG, it's, it's a lot more simple because you have less cards, and obviously you have a lot of limitations, like you don't have much card draw, you don't have any tutors. Um, it's it's kind of the same thing, and, and the RNG, like TFT does have some RNG, I guess, for critical hits and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but I feel like um, Battleground is really like the, the RNG gods game. So you could either go super well or super bad, and I think that's a really fun fun addition. And I think the pirates kind of snowball in, in a good... I, they don't RNG too much, but there's a snowball effect that's also... Like, depending on where you attack, you, you could, like keep the, the key pirates active and alive and, and continue your combo. So yeah, I think it's, it's really well implemented, and it's a really good addition. It doesn't break any strategies, it just brings new synergies, and it's really well done.
0: Oh man, I the some of the pirates interactions are just. I feel like to to re- be really skilled at battlegrounds, you have to literally know almost. Every, you have to know the card pool, and then you have to be able to come up with these combos as the tavern is refreshing, and basically know when to sell, when to hold on, when to power level, yeah. um, and, and all of these new pirate cards that they added have completely blown apart my strategies on there. So I'm like way back to the drawing board on there. And and that's one thing that I can appreciate about battlegrounds. It's a little bit different in the sense that, you know, I always kind of compare it to like standard because it's the easiest thing for me to compare it to uh, because it's the same game, but, or or it's, 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 it's Hearthstone is what I should really say. But when I look at Hearthstone standard, for the most part, you know, there is some, some change with, with, you know the way that they introduce new form or new formats and things of that nature, but with Battlegrounds, there is radical change when they release these patches, uh, and, and I can appreciate that. But man, it just takes so much to be, I think, really skilled at that game. So I do appreciate like the streamers that you know do these combos. Like I'm sure you've seen the Cadgar thing that that a lot of people were doing, like Cadgar. No. Uh, okay. What is it? So it was like Cadgar uh, and Brand, the the Bronze Beard, and so the goal was to acquire both of those minions on the board, and then get to so basically you had to be tier five because you wanted to see Brand. So once you saw Brand off of a triple, you know you could sell all of your board, and at twenty seconds you could legitimately close the client, reopen it up, and then have just Brand and Cadgar. After you like sell or whatever you upgrade, and so it, when it when you when you close the client at 20 seconds, and you open it, if you survive, it gives you like 120 seconds on the clock, okay? And with that 120 seconds, you have to use Cadgar, and you have to use Brand the Bronze Beard, and you have to find tokens. And keep in mind you're on tier five, so every token that you get, like um, say you get the Murloc token it's going to make, uh, I believe, two triples automatically when you play it because of Cadgar and Bronzebeer. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and so you basically snowball all of these tokens into a bunch of triples, and I've seen, I've seen some streamers get as high as, like, 17, 20 triples off of this. And you end up basically acquiring, and with, like, 20 seconds to go, you kind of finish off your tripling, and then you sell everything that you need and you just have the murlocs, and you play your your Omega Sword with a with bronze beard to get like Divine Shield Poison blah 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 and you just keep playing pump spells in you know the the Omega Swords that you found. But like it it's incredible to watch. I, I, I wish I, I gotta show you a video of it because it's it's tremendous. Okay. It's my favorite thing to do. But the problem is it's so hard to do that when you mess it up. It is. You're, yeah, I guess you're done. <laughs>
1: yeah, the other combo I knew about was, which was actually pretty fun. I've never really achieved to do it. Mm-hmm. But I've done some similar stuff. Is when you when you get that bomb that does four damage, and you get like uh, the Baron that doubles the the death rattles. Yep. And you can kind of get. There's a Exodia build where you can kind of like get everything to explode. Yep. And that's actually super funny. I'm, no, actually, it's not with that one. I think
0: you need the the ghoul, yeah. I believe, right? Like the yeah, the goal is yeah but the goal and uh yeah, it's a
1: golden goal and it kind of explodes a couple times
0: yes it's incredible to watch anime too because you're just like what just happened <laughs> but uh yeah, exactly
1: it's so complicated i mean I, I don't know it really well but it's, it's a bit complicated as well so it's hard to explain oh so yeah it's easier to watch i don't know who did it i think maybe a crypt did a video about it Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he definitely. Yeah, did. it's really
1: fun to watch. So anybody should go should directly type uh, <laughs> Exodia in Battlegrounds on YouTube and watch it right after the stream.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're if you're into some great Battleground stuff, and it is super entertaining. But hey, Alex, I, I just wanted to say I appreciate you a ton for coming on. Um, I know that we had been in talks for this for a few weeks, and you know honestly, with everything going on in the current culture and the current climate it's just good to you know, have a conversation about you know, some trading card games and uh, to be able to yeah. enjoy it. So once again, big thank you for coming on. Um, I hope that our international viewers get a chance to check it out, and I hope that the, my friends that I grew up playing cards with that listen to this podcast and things of that nature, I hope they get a chance to see a perspective of somebody that we never got a chance to really interact with when we were growing up. So I appreciate you uh, giving us this, this cool, fresh perspective
1: yeah it's a, it's also a pleasure because i didn't know i i haven't heard anything about the the us scene uh some of my cousins play like pokemon tcg and pokemon but the pokemon game so they so they go to regionals and everything so i kind of heard about how that's organized mm-hmm. but I think yeah the 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 tcg scene in america sounds super intense as well because each state could have a different meta and actually it's like it's probably like when we talk about continents on hearthstone or in, in any other tcg how the metas are different yeah. Uh, we we also have different metas in countries, but you all also speak the same languages, so it's it's a bit more easy, I think, to to kind of regroup the metas, or it's actually you can discuss it, because we have a hard time something sometimes discussing the meta with Italians, because we don't speak the same language, uh, like Eastern Europeans and everything. So I think the communication could be smoother in in America, but I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's two different, uh, it's really different methods i think of approaching tcgs and due to geographical reasons language re- barriers maybe and i think that's what makes uh, tcgs great because you meet so many people and you kind of always end up talking about stuff you love and kind of re- re- uh, regroups people and around the common interests and which is which has proven today on on this uh, life
0: oh yeah i just want to say this i always will will think that you know there was a lot of times in the trading card world where I thought that the European meta was ahead of, ahead of us. I thought that there were a lot of really good players coming from Europe that were a lot better than some of our players. And the thing that I, that I, that sticks out about what you just said is we all in America speak the same language. And so I just want to, I just kind of want to wrap things up on, on the podcast and we'll finish things Alex after the podcast, but I just want to wrap the podcast up by saying thank you for listening wherever you are. But I think that that message is that one of the big advantages America has is we all speak the same same language. So if we can all get on the same team, imagine what we could accomplish. Maybe we would be better at trading card games. Anyways, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. You can find us anywhere where you find your podcast: Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, okay? We appreciate you listening, but thank you guys so much, and tune in next week for another episode of Total Media Live.